Hi, Veg Heads, Veg Your Besties. Today on Veg Your Best, we're going to do something brand new. Brand new for me, brand new for the podcast. We have an interview which has challenged all my uh, walking and chewing gum skills of recording and having a conversation with somebody who I think is terrific, and that's Sid Garza. Hillman. Sid Garza Hillman is a veteran podcaster. And if you've listened to this podcast, mine, Veg Your Best, you have heard me mention him more than a few times. Uh, he's the author of three books, including Approaching the Natural, a Health Manifesto, Raising Healthy Parents, Small Steps, Less Stress, and a Thriving Family. That's one I gave to my daughter and my son in law a little while back when they were expecting my our, I like to say our grandson, who is uh, um, needs healthy parents, apparently. And this new book that's come out, Sid Garza Hillman's Six Truths. Six Truths. Live by these truths and be happy. Don't and you won't, counsels Sid. He holds a BA in philosophy from, from UCLA, and we talk about philosophy. And he's a public speaker, a podcaster. What Sid thinks is his current iteration of a podcast. He's a certified nutritionist. He's a running coach. He's the founder of smallsteppers.com. He is the Stanford Inn and Resorts Wellness Programs Director. And he's a race director of a Mendocino of the Mendocino Coast 50K Trail Ultra marathon. So he does a lot of things. And if you listen to What Sid Thinks podcast, you will get a sense very quickly of Sid's humor, but also his seriousness, his seriousness about wellness and helping people get something real out of their lives. And Six Truths, his new book, um, which supposedly is uh, still on pre-order, depending on what you read on Amazon. It's either pre-order or it's actually being shipped. So it's brand new and you should look for it immediately. But right now we're going to talk to him and hopefully you'll get a good idea of why I think he's such a great voice to listen to and now to read. Sid Garza Hillman, thank you for doing me the honor of being the first person I interview on my uh, podcast, Veg Your Best. I didn't know that. Yeah, you wouldn't have agreed, right? Wow, bad, <laughs> bad move on your part. This is going to set the trend for all the, it can only go up from here. Well, so. you know, I all my podcasts have been um, just me talking. Now, you have, you have set the bar for just being you talking. On a podcast, for better or for worse, uh, that is mostly what I do these days. Yes. Yeah, and even yeah. on approaching the natural, which I listen yeah. to forever, that was almost always just you, right? Yeah, I would scatter in um, interviews. Probably of the two hundred twenty-two episodes, I might have done—I don't even know, 50, 20 episodes, maybe. Mm. Uh, you know, with with guests, not that much. You know, it usually might be when it sort of hit me. And I didn't have a plan for the new show uh, to not have guests. I just haven't. And I actually tried one time, and it, and the audio failed. So it's. I, I would Isn't have it? guessed at some point. Yeah, I know. Right. Exactly. 
Well, anyway, but great. thanks for thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. And um, my listeners, the ones who listen to me all the time, have heard me reference you uh, frequently. We have used the term MOT, M-O-T-T, mm. most of the yeah. time. People always resonate with that. Yes. So I think I hope that I've I've introduced some people to you. Cool. Um, Thank you. So tell tell all my listeners a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, I, these days, and I've done some different weird things over my, uh, time here. And, um, but these days I'm a, I'm a small steps coach and, uh, run a online program and a, and a private coaching model called small step intensive. I run a wellness center at the Stanford Inn and resort in Mendocino on the Mendocino coast. I direct an ultra marathon. Um, and I am a father and a husband and a runner myself and musician and, all sorts of cool stuff and writer and have a new book out, as you know. And so that's kind of what I'm doing, coaching people and teaching people, nutritionist, yes, uh, that's new, right. new, newly, newly breathing instructor, oxygen advantage. Breathing, Let's breathing talk instructor. about that in a minute too, because that's yeah. interesting. I think so a lot exciting. of us think we're already breathing, but. And we are, but not functionally. And uh, boy, it was a, it was a really incredible uh, pr program to go through and learn about that whole end of things, which I hadn't really gotten into before. So well, that's cool. fantastic. So I, as I, as, as we know, I, I listened to you for many years um, before I became plant-based and then vegan. Um, I listened to you and I was very inspired by a lot of what you do and a lot of your teaching, even though it's not always very vegan or plant-based that's not the subject that comes up right. usually you talk right. about doing things that are more natural more right. healthy most of the time mm -hmm. and uh, we we call it veg your best because that's mm -hmm. what we're trying to do things the best way we can cool. and your new book with six truths is a lot about how to um how you've used your experience in all these topics and all these very widely different topics to give some advice to people about how they can um, enjoy their lives a bit more. Yeah. It's a happiness manifesto. Essentially it's, 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 uh, you know, it's about, you know, regardless of what choice you make about food. And, and again, like you're right, I don't, my focus with both podcasts and my books hasn't been, I don't even think I've used the word, the word vegan in any of my books. Um, I am, and I, and I, and I, I just want people to get it. If they're going to get there, I want them to get there on their own in a way that has a backdrop of self-care in a way that they realize why they're doing it. I hope they're doing it to make themselves happy. There's mm. plenty of vegans I've met and keep meeting them that are angry and restrictive and militant and, and, and just off kind of off-putting. I think they're missing the point. They might've come to it to make themselves feel better, but somehow they got lost along the way. So my new book is to sort of remind you like, why are you doing it? If you're not doing it to make you happy, don't do it. Cause it's not helping anybody. It's certainly not helping you. And if you're doing it with a backdrop of self-care and ethic of self-care, it can be an incredible choice. It's made my life so much better, but for some people it doesn't. And I just wanted to have a book that said, look, before you make move one into changing the way you eat or how you exercise or whatever, you know, get your ducks in a row, find out why you're doing what you're doing, you know, plan a way to do it. That doesn't add a bunch of stress to your life, you know, and then, and then start moving. And then it's in a, in a regulated kind of uh, good way, positive way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think, and it's, you, you call it a manifesto. Your first book was also, I think, literally subtitled a manifesto, no? A health, a health manifesto, yeah. yeah. Approaching, the, approaching the natural health manifesto, yeah. And if you notice, uh, well, you will, because if you, because you'll get the book, but, and I haven't actually seen the book myself, but it's sized exactly like approaching the natural health manifesto. It's the same Oh, okay, size. good. Yeah, on purpose. I wanted a little kind of handhold thing, really fun to read, get through and easy to read for people. And that's the idea. Yeah, I couldn't visualize because it came through on my PDF. It looks like eight right. and a half by 11 
yeah it's size. you can't you can't tell but yeah if you, it's a it's a it's a manifesto it's the size same size as approaching the natural oh wonderful yeah and you know you talk about getting your ducks in a row but yet your first the int- in the introduction you also warn us about getting our ducks two in a row don't you you kind of explain that maybe we already know enough to start that we don't need to do a lot of researching and a lot of new uh, information gathering before we can start reaching out in some of these areas. Yeah, and that's a good question. The, by ducks in a row, I mean know why you're getting into it. That's what ah. I mean. Put your yeah, I, I say I always say mind first, body second. Now in the book, mm. when I talk about the knowledge thing, what I mean by that is once you have the establishment of ethic and a self care and a kind of like okay, here's I'm not trying to lose weight. I'm trying to be a person who's at a healthy weight and and be a happy, healthy person that, you know, really understand what your goals are, really understand what you're going for. Then the point of, of what you just mentioned in the book is you don't then need to put your life on hold for a year and a half and start reading 15,000 books and going to 15,000 lectures. You probably already have a decent idea about how to eat healthier. You'd be surprised how many people walk in my door at the resort for a nutrition class and have a pretty darn good knowledge about how to eat healthy. Maybe not, you know, perfectly, but like they have a good idea of what healthiest food, what health, what's healthy food versus not healthy. That's Mm -hmm. not what's stopping them. What's stopping them is how to implement that knowledge. So the point in the book is like, knowledge is amazing. It's great. I read things all the time. That's what informs me, but it's never a substitute for action. And so you probably know enough to start. And that's the important thing. Then as you're rolling, you can learn more and become more informed and along the way, but it's the action that, that will deliver you the happiness. And so, and so you don't, don't get stuck in the weeds on, you know, the 10th lecture on protein get moving in whatever, you know, hence my small steps approach, but get moving and then learn along the way and grow along the way, learn along the way, act along the way. And you're just kind of on the way there. Yeah. You mentioned the self, the small steps. And I was in an iteration of your small stepping program when it was on online, all, all, all online content, um, which it is, is is it still, well, the online pro aside from the live Q and A's that I do, but yeah, there's a, so I've got two things. I've got the smallsteppers.com. That's the online program, 12 weeks. I jump, I jump in on occasion and do live Q and A's as needed. And then I launched in uh, recently, actually, um, smallstepintensive.com, which is a private coaching. And that's just, that's the way you can find out about it. But it is a 12 week, I'm l- literally in touch with my clients every day for 12 weeks. Wow. Like every single, it's an intensive, like it's, it's two meetings a week, like the whole thing. So yeah, I've got, so some people just don't, that's not for them. They want to do the online program. They get a lot from that, but some people want the accountability and that kind of thing. And it's, it's long enough to where they can kind of see, get past the excitement of it and really get into the being of it, what it's like to actually live and establish healthy habits and things like that. That, you know, that's wonderful. I, I, I didn't realize you had the intensive uh, going still right now. So is there a cohort every so quarter the, the inten- or so? Or? The intensive isn't, a, it's a, it's literally private. So people, if I have space, which right now I don't, gotcha. but I will, but, but I have two clients ending in the next two weeks and then I'll have two spaces open. So I, I keep, see. I keep three clients at a time. So if I don't have in six months, if I have zero clients, I'll have three, three spaces open. So it's not a start date. It's, it's a particular to you. If you, if I have a space and you sign up on a Tuesday, that's your day one and we get rolling and uh, it's and 12 weeks later we stop and that, and it's a pretty intense 12 weeks with that said, intense in my mind, it just means attention intense, but not time intense. Nobody has to put their lives on hold. They're working. Nobody would even know they're in the intensive. It's not, they're not doing diets. It it's, like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like thinking, I mean, they're making actual changes. I mean, my clients are like living so much better, even in 12 weeks of, in terms of stress management and things, mm-hmm. but it's not you, they're living their lives. They're raising families, going to work and everything, but they're poking holes, little moments and, and, and managing their stress in, in ways that they never thought was possible. It's really cool to watch. 
Well, that's wonderful. I hope my listeners will, uh, maybe some of them will investigate that and uh, take the opportunity to learn more about that, because I think that would be very valuable. One of the things um, I hear from my clients all the time is we talk about breaking things into smaller Mm -hmm. components, and so many of them go, well, what difference will that make? You don't oh, understand. Yeah. I need to. Oh. So how, how do you help people when they say, listen, said uh, a small step, that's too small. It's not going to help with my health or my marriage or my fitness. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I don't define small step as a, as something that is one size in the world. It's a small mm-hmm. step in terms of how you perceive it. And so it's, in other words, if it's, if it looks like too big of a thing to handle, you won't do it. So, so for some people, depending on their lives, and this is what the training happens is that they assess their lives and they go, okay, well, I mean, I've had people who have cancer, their small step in diet is to change their diet overnight because it doesn't stress them out. They're ready to go. They'll make that habit. They're good. But for other people, it's, you know, fresh fruit for breakfast one morning a week. It's Mm. whatever gets you acting. So almost every client I've ever had comes to me and says, well, I'm an all or nothing person. I'm a perfectionist. I go, how's that serving you? Because if you're all or nothing person, inevitably you're going to end up doing nothing Yeah. because the all is too big. So while they might argue, well, five minutes a day talking to my spouse before we turn on our TV isn't going to do anything. I just completely disagree because it, it begins a habit of connection, a habit of conversation. Then once that habit's established, it can be grown and, and, and expanded, but it's got to be about the habit. If you do it for a week and don't do it anymore, what there's no different, of course, it's not going to make a difference. And that's usually what happens is they go all in, they read a meditation book in 45 minutes. That's the thing. And so they force themselves into 45 minute meditation for two weeks and then they quit. And so I start people off with maybe one deep breath per day and they go, well, what's that going to do? I go, well, that's going to establish a habit of meditation that can then be grown into what level you want, maybe 45 minutes. But by the time you get to 45 minutes, not that big of a deal. You've managed to kind of subtly move it into your life, making little cracks here, move things around very easily, not stressing anybody out, not putting your family on hold. And then you kind of reach that level and then you're kind of doing it every day. And all of a sudden you're like, I meditate every day. That's kind of weird. Like I didn't, mm. and you just, it's like there you're being, I have a, a writing assignment that my clients do to write the difference between doing versus being. And it's that, it's that transition, transition from doing the thing, like eating a healthy diet based on a diet book to being a healthy eater. It's a very different thing. Being somebody who eats healthy, they don't think about food too much. It's just what they do. And, and it takes time to get there. There's no, you can't, you can't jump ahead. You can jump ahead on a diet and look like somebody who's a healthy eater, mm-hmm. but to be somebody who's a healthy eater takes time. It takes sticking with it long enough. And sometimes that means doing a little less to keep you going in until you can do it for good. Well, that that's, that's reminding me of your, um, well, first of all, it reminds me that when I was doing your program, uh, taking a deep breath, I, I made, it was one of my small steps and I did it when I was in the car at a stop sign. That was like, oh, I would so always, good. I would just try to remind to go. Or so then when, when I parked or so anytime I was, so I would still be completely eyes open, but yes. it was just to kind of get me noticing how many times I was just breathing way up at the top or exactly clenching right. shoulders so up like this. So good. You know, by your ears. Yeah, these- you scatter those moments. It's huge. It's, and even if you start with one deep breath per day, but like you said, all of a sudden, because breathing is on your radar now, mm-hmm. you'll find yourself doing it at random different times. And then it just grows from there. And then you sort of like your rote response to stress is just to quickly come back into your breath. Mm-hmm. And it's science. This is not woo woo stuff. Like the pro- breathing program I instruct now is the research on it is huge. And it's, 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 real. I mean, the amount, the the effect on your vagus nerve and the effect on your digestion and the effect of your overall stress, the effect on your inflammation, it's real. It's not the only factor, but it's one and it's a real factor. So when you build that practice, 
by starting small enough to hang with it long enough to make it a reality in your life in terms of, you know, moving into more functional breathing. Sometimes it has absolutely huge effects. It's been an amazing addition to my practice. And so tell us a little bit about how you became a uh, functional breathing instructor, or is there another term for that? Yeah, well, the program I, this course I took is called Oxygen Advantage, and uh, he has a new book out, P Patrick McEwen. It's M-C-K-E-O-W-N, or McE he's Irish. Anyways, uh, I, I go, he's Irish. <laughs> anyway, but it has like that guy, McEwen or whatever. Anyway, good guy, um, but really good program. But yeah, it, it is training people through various exercises to learn how to breathe more functionally, essentially. And um, what was eye-opening to me is that on, on, on average, people breathe too much. They take too many breaths per minute. Mm -hmm. And what that's doing is it's, it's it, I don't want to get too in the weeds on this, but it's, it's bringing in a ton of oxygen, which sounds great, but it's kicking out too much CO2. And that's the problem. It's, it's getting rid of too much CO2 because it turns out there's something called the Bohr effect, which if you can raise the level of CO2 in your blood just enough, it will trigger the release of oxygen into the tissues, which is really what we want. We want tissue oxygenation. Well, with overbreathing, all that oxygen goes in, it links almost 98% is, is attached to the hemoglobin and it doesn't release because you've also blown out too much CO2. So this training over time is to desensitize yourself to CO2, to function day to day with a slightly higher amount of CO2 in your bloodstream at all times, which triggers the release of the oxygen into the tissues. But it's, it's harder than you think. It's, it's, a, whole, it's a series of breath holds on the exhale and mm -hmm. learning how to, to desensitize yourself over time. So you're not chest breathing, you're breathing into the abdomen, your chest and shoulders almost don't even move. It's slowing your breath. It's entirely through the nose, in and out, no, no mouth breathing at all. Mm -hmm. I've been taping my mouth shut for about five months at night because mm -hmm. I was a mouth breather for years. Um, and I tape my mouth shut now and I, and I've gotten to the point, it didn't start out that way, but I hung with it long enough, FYI, you know, wink, wink to it for it to become a habit. Now where I'm breathing through my nose all night and during all exercise, all running, all in, all out. Did in a different iteration of our, of human existence, did we breathe that way more naturally? Correct. Well, this is why I love it. Like the nose is the breathing apparatus and, and, and there's, there's so many biological benefits to breathing through the nose. First, it slows it down. Second of all, it humidifies it, mm -hmm. the breath coming in, um, nitric oxide, which is a dilator sort of flexible and, and, and it makes the bronchial tubes and actually in the cardiovascular system too, but in terms of breathing that opens the bronchial tubes, keeps them flexible also mm -hmm. in the sinuses, nitric oxide. Um, it's, it's biologically we're no, we're no, we're nasal breathers. When you need a lot of oxygen really quick, you'll transition to the mouth, but it's not really the primary. It's not the, it's not the ideal optimal it's necessary. Like if you got attacked, God forbid, you would breathe through the mouth. You would need that oxygen that fast. Oh, but once. For, right. But for day-to-day -day existence, uh, it's all about the nose. In fact, even if you're an athlete, now, if you're an elite athlete, they shoot to train elite athletes to nasal breathe about 50% of the time. But if you're really pushing it on race day, you probably will transition to mouth. That's just not applicable to most people who mm -hmm. are just living lives and maybe exercise. Like now I go for a run, all nose in and out. And it's been time, you know, I've been doing this for five, six months every single day. And so it takes time to learn it, but it is such a good question because it's relearning how we're designed to breathe. It's relearning that just like relearning how to eat more naturally. I, I look, you know, I look at it like returning to a little bit more of a natural existence. Mm, so it's very, it's very in keeping with all the work you've been doing with your clients at the totally personally and with your clients at the inn at Stanford Inn. Yeah. Um, so why did we start mouth breathing so much modern world yeah. because we're stressed 
Yeah, because we we work, we don't sleep, we caffeinate, we don't eat well, we're running ourselves ragged, we're you know stimulating, and we're going to work for ten hours, and we're commuting in traffic mm-hmm. for an hour. All those factors lead us to a slightly we're not we're not walking around panic, we're not like, <gasps> but we are slightly over breathing day to day, and we just don't even think about it. We're just we're kind of in a heightened state where. Then on top of that, the, the, the sensitivity to overwhelm in today's world, I've been talking about this a lot lately, is pretty heightened. Like it doesn't take a lot for us to be overwhelmed. So for us to go like, I'm going to go on a diet and change the way I eat entirely tomorrow. For most people, it's just way too much. It, go, it puts you right into overwhelm because your overall stress is too high. So my work is to mind first, body second. Again, train people how to lower their overall stress so that they can make those changes to, in whatever area. But you got to make it about the stress first. You got to get that. You got to get on top of that first. Then the moves you make can be long lasting. If mm-hmm. you don't address the underlying issues of stress and overwhelm in the world, whatever you try, you can try. But it, 98% of diets fail for a reason. They're just mm-hmm. not, you're not ready to take it on long term yet. So in coaching, we talk about how actions, we don't, in the work I do, we don't coach on the action line. We coach on the feeling line, which mm-hmm. fuels the action and the thought exactly right. that creates that feeling. So exactly. that's the exactly what you're saying, this idea of mind first. Body second, yeah. Body but we want, we, want the, we want the weight loss because we want to look good and whatever, forever, whatever reason. And so we go right to the diet because of course, why wouldn't we? If somebody says, well, you want weight loss, 20 pounds in 20 days done. And we're like, that's exactly what I want. Right. But it's not what they, I'm want. in. Yeah. Yeah, of course. If they, but they, but if they think for a second, they go, wait a second, I don't want to just lose the weight. I want to keep it off. Okay. Then you would never go into a 20 pound, 20 day. You would actually do the work to make it a reality for you, which is going to be a long-term process. It's going to be stressful, but you can manage that and make it not so stressful, but you have to maybe not take on so much at once mm-hmm. to make it a long, to actually be in line with your goals. But they trick you to think that your goals are a scale weight. And that's not your goal. If you think about it for five more seconds, you go like, oh, wait, it's not just a scale weight. I want to be somebody who's at a healthy weight and I don't want to be hyper-focused on food and I want to be happy and joyful and, and do cool stuff and maybe eat less than healthy food once in a while and not feel bad about it, not beat myself up. Okay. Now let's get the real work done. This is That's mm-hmm. real work. Just like what you do with clients. It's real work. Diets are easy. You can put everything on hold, follow exactly what I tell you to do and lose the weight, but you're going to gain it back and you'll feel like a failure and you start beating yourself up again. And, and my best clients are people who are like, I am exhausted by this. I want to never do this again. I'm like, good. Now we can get the real work done, the adult work of making this a reality. Yeah. Well, you're reminding me that this is very much the book, Six Truths, very, mm-hmm. at least the way I've read it. I read it quickly in this yeah, week, but the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, the last chapter is about, um, is basically about that. It's about, we all need goals, but mm-hmm. the goal is not the goal. The goal is kind of, who you become, who you are along that air quotes journey. Yes. <laughs> you read the chapter. That was not your favorite I hate word. that word. I hate that one. <laughs> I also hate the term vegan journey. I always do. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 it is. It's like squishy. Like. <laughs> but it kind of works. The problem with it That's... is it's, it, it, I don't know, for me, it kind of does express the issue because most of us are on some sort of trajectory that I deal with. Sure. They're not... And even if you've been vegan quite a while, there are probably parts of your life that you don't feel are a hundred percent in alignment with that. I don't know if there is a perfect vegan uh, experience possible in the- Who knows? And, and, and in, like I like you, like you were touching upon, it's like, I, I talk about the book, like make your goals somewhat obsolete, mm. you know, set them, set them, work toward them, but understand this, 
reaching that goal isn't going to make you happy. It'll give you a boost of excitement and, and a good accomplishment. And that's great. We all have goals. I set them too. But the happiness comes from the day to day. And that's why that truth called happiness is in the A to Y, not the Z. It's in the A to Y every time. It doesn't mean don't set your goals, set them, but know when you hit it or not go on the next day, you got to come back to your life, deal with your life and set a new goal. But it's all about how you're living day to day. That's where happiness lives is in the day to day, not in the one day that you finish the, you know, cross the finish line. And that's amazing. I've had great memories and, and, and experiences of finishing a race and going, Oh, I cannot believe I did that. It was incredible. It feels so good, but then you got to get moving again. Yeah. Right. Cause the day to day is like, how engaged are you in your life day to day? That's where the real work is. And, and goals can play an amazing part in, in keeping you engaged and, and stretching your figurative muscles and, and taking you out of your comfort zone. And that's all great. I mean, I'm a huge fan of all that stuff, but it, you still got to come back to your life and that's, it has to be part of the equation. Mm. So I don't want to talk about all six truths because I think that's for our, our readers, our listeners to, uh, to like, unfold for themselves but is there one truth that you would like to chat with or tell us about in six truths did, did one come first or second or last for you well the the first one did come first and that's that setting the example is almost the whole shebang mm. and part of this is me being just you know i've been in the world in this world for a while now i've been doing this for for, for a long time and and I am, for whatever reason i'm I'm hypersensitive and not hypersensitive I'm hyper focused on how somebody is living themselves way more than what they say, way more. Um, the example that they said, I want to listen to what somebody has to say, but I won't if I don't perceive, if I don't perceive, and I could be wrong about it, but if I don't perceive somebody is living better than I'm living in whatever way, like if I'm going to get running coaching, like I did when I ran my first ultra, I hired a coach. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm like, please help me. Right. I'm not going to go to somebody who's in worse shape than I am, who has never run an ultra marathon. I'm going to go to somebody who I perceive is kicking butt as an ultra runner and, and, and potentially as a coach and then say, okay, that's the guy. And that's who I found and it turned out to be great at the time. If I had worked with him and realized he's not that I would fire, fire him and talk to somebody else. And I've told my clients straight up, I'm like, if I'm not, the, if I don't embody to you, somebody who's living better than you are in these areas, healthy weight and vi energy and vibrancy and things like that, don't work with me because I'm not going to have an effect on you. Cause you're going to, in the back of your mind somewhere, you're going to go, you can't even do it. And if you can't do it, how the heck am I supposed to do it? Right? So people have asked me, well, how do I become a, how, how do you become a health coach? How do you become, a, how should I become a health coach? I go do it first, do it for figure out because there's struggles associated with it. There's hard work, there's failures, there's difficulties, there's roadblocks get it done. And then you've had the experience of getting that done yourself. And that's going to be so much more powerful than anything you tell your client. If you have been through it, then you can empathize with them. You know where the struggles are. Yeah. I mean, I just had a client who's, you know, battling with food, like serious. And, and, and we're working on that. And, and under my small steps approach, I'm trying to, I, you know, it's, I, I make it really not about food because again, it's the underlying stress, right? So she was battling something. And I said, listen, personal story, Tuesday night, this is a true story, two nights ago we're eating dinner and then we had some Easter jelly beans, vegan, who cares, right? Total junk food, hundred percent junk food. And we got outside, I'm snacking on them. And all of a sudden, like I was in a deep dive, like I was eating jelly beans. It was not a pretty sight. And I had to tell my, I asked my wife, please, can you, and my daughter who was sitting next to me, C17 and go move, please move these away from me. Like take, please take them away from me. That I've been doing this longer than anybody small mm -hmm. stepping. Cause I, I developed the approach. Um, I battle, I need help. This is highly addictive. It's hard to get this done. I was in a place where I was like, I kept going back for handfuls. It was like, I was in this weird state. I was like, please move these from me. I had to ask for help on that. That's because I know that about myself. I know 
that there is no perfection to be had. I know that it's ongoing struggle and I'm glad about that. I'm glad that I earned my win. My win that was that I asked for help and said, can you move this away from me? And they did. And I was done. And thank goodness. Cause if they hadn't, it would have been, you know, what I probably still be eating them. Um, and so, so, you know, so, so having that experience, I'm living the, I believe I'm living a good example of health, not because I'm perfect, not because I don't have struggles, but precisely because I have those things and I'm learning how to do my best in spite of those things, right? It's like I always tell people when I wrote my Raising Healthy Parents book, I want my kids to know when I'm afraid. I want them to know when I'm nervous about get, you know, doing whatever, getting on stage and, and all the, I like, I want them to know, I don't want them to think my dad was just, he just was so easy for him. It's not, I want them to see that there's struggle. I want to see the truth of that so that they see how somebody can might work through that stuff. And that, and that's what I bring to the coaching table as well. I, well, I, I think that is absolutely so crucial. So many people tell me that, well, I guess it's not, it's, it's not easy for me. I guess that's not for me. Th this idea of things being easy or it should be flow, or it should feel natural, or it should mm -hmm. feel simpler, or my relationships should feel more easy than it does. It's not necessarily a problem, right? The idea that things aren't easy is not, it's not necessarily a red flag. Yeah. I mean, one of the truths in the book is there's no substitute for hard work and there never will be. To live a good life, you have to be engaged. You have to pay attention. You can't, there's never a point where you go, okay, I got this. I'm done. Now I can just phone it in and turn off my brain. You have to stay engaged. It's, you know, it takes time. It's, I, I've used the analogy of a yoga instructor. I know lots of yoga instructors because of the resort. They take classes. They're not done. They didn't go, I am now a yoga instructor. I never have to learn anything else about yoga. It's a practice. It's ongoing. So is living a happy life. You have to be engaged to do it. If you don't want to be engaged, fine. But look at what is allowing us to not be engaged in our life. It's never easier. It's never been this easy to be not engaged via junk food, drugs, alcohol, social media, news, that we can turn off our brains most of our days now. And that's a dangerous uh, slope that we're going down. And so what I am advocating for is bringing in moments, not telling somebody to not go on social media, but how do you regulate it? How do you manage it? How do you poke holes in it? So you take time to take that deep breath at the stop sign. That's where the power comes. And that allows you to stay uh, a player in your life instead of just waking up three years later and going, what happened to me? I was going to write a book and I never did. And I, you know, this kind of stuff. Mm. Now, was there a time in your life where you felt, uh, you felt like you were disengaged where things, where you woke up three years later and you hadn't accomplished what you uh, had, had wanted to do? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Periods of time. Yeah. I mean, look, I was a full-time musician. Music, music was my absolute passion mm -hmm. in Los Angeles. I was a, made my living acting and, but, but I was a musician through and through played and gigged and toured and put records out. Then I move up here to where I live now, Mendocino coast. And I was definitely burnt on music by the time I got up here. I had put so much of my time into it. And, and so I, I knew I was going to take a break, but I literally didn't pick up my guitar for five years. Mm. It was like in my case for like five years, it was, it was like, so much my identity. And then I just woke up and I was like, what is happening here? You know? And then I used my own small steps approach and took it out of the case and put it on a stand and just kind of touched it once a, once a week, <laughs> just kind of put my hands on it just to kind of bring it back in. You know, didn't, I didn't go to this. I got to start playing three hours a day. Like I used right. to, I was like, I, right. And so, yeah, you can wake up, you know, we have big plans. I'm going to write a book. And so we go all in for whatever time. And then we all of a sudden, six months later, I've had clients like this, you know, I'm an, I, they, they ideally they're a novelist. I go, when's the last time you worked on your novel? Six months, mm -hmm. you know? Okay. Well, let's start with five minutes a day to get you, to get that back on your radar. 
well, that's not going to do anything. I go, yes, it is. Because five minutes a day is going to turn into 10 minutes a day. It's going to turn into 30 minutes a day. And over the next six months, even if you just did five minutes a day, six months, five minutes a day is a lot more than you have done in the last six months. Right. So it's, it's, I have, and still do all of a sudden I'm like, I gotta, I want to get back into this thing, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it just, it, it just ebbs and flows. That's it. Yeah. But it, it, it never stops. So you are modeling, you are modeling the transformations you've had in your life and the, and the struggles you've had in your life. And one of the things we talk about on my podcast is uh, stoicism. I am a mm-hmm. geek about philosophy. You mm-hmm. are a philosophy major at UCLA, Was. were. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. I, I'm curious what 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 philosophies um, what philosophies appealed to you back then when you were a young man and which, which kind of uh, have stayed with you that, that are relevant now for you? I think you mean younger man. Cause I'm still very young. Michelle, as you can I tell. Um, uh, yeah, no. Um, yeah. I was just uh, talking about my philosophy because I was thinking about it. It has really uh, unbelievably to me been such a huge part of my life in terms of what I do now. I mean, my, all my books, I consider philosophy books Mm -hmm. first and foremost, my approach is very philosophical. Um, it was not my intention to be a philosophy major. I fell into a class to satisfy a general ed thing and just absolutely fell in love with it. It was Descartes. I remember I was, I sat in this philosophy class, this huge auditorium. And I was like, this is my first introduction ever. I had never, not one iota. I think that should be taught in high schools. I think that would be amazing, but it wasn't in mine. And I don't think it is in most, um, but I was an economics major and then a political science. And then I was English and I just stumbled into this philosophy class and absolutely loved it. Um, but ethics is the thing that I loved the most. Ethics, ethics was the thing that I loved the most. I loved every class I took on ethics. Um, and that has definitely informed my work now. I see self-care um, as an ethic. I see it as a right and wrong in terms of treating ourselves well. Mm-hmm. I see um, even, you know, people always go like, well, I'm vegan for the health, but I'm vegan for the ethics. I'm going, no, it's, and I've talked about this on stage a thousand times. It's, the, it's all under the umbrella of ethic, or at least mm-hmm. it, it, I think it's best served when it is. When you say treating myself well, treating myself compassionately, learning how to be compassionate to yourself on a, even on a health level, it bleeds into every part of your life. Mm. But I also see treating the earth well as an environmental thing. It's not a separate thing from self-care. We're part of the earth. We want to treat it well. We want to treat ourselves well. I think in fact, learning how to treat yourself well is a very, very good place to start to then come out into the world and, and translate that compassion to all other areas, how you treat your family and friends when you are again, stress managed and learning how to take care of yourself. That's only going to be a good thing for everybody in your life. How you, how you treat people is going to be based on how you treat yourself. That's what I believe through and through Mm -hmm. could be wrong, but that's what I believe. I'm wondering how you advise very often. I find my clients do have tremendous empathy and ethical concerns about others Mm -hmm. and not so much about themselves. Yeah. Really, oh, I know. Really do not. They treat they're more concerned about the workers in slaughterhouses even than themselves. They're more yes. concerned about the people who are handling the meats and packaging them even. But for themselves, they have a hard time saying putting themselves as in the in the important category in the yeah. I need to be kind to this human being who's sitting yes. here. Yes. category. How, how do you, how do you help them see that? Well, well, because I mean, my second book is called raising healthy parents, which mm-hmm. is literally about putting the brain on you as a parent, you know, like that you can't be the parent you want to be if you're stressed and exhausted and unhealthy and feeling stressed and unhappy all the time. It is not only crucial to not, I mean, look how many parents I've worked with who go, yeah, I can't, they're like putting themselves on the back burner in theory for the good of the kids. And yet they, I need them to understand that when they take care of themselves, 
it's better for the child. They are, first of all, lower stress so they can implement whatever parenting style they have. Number one. Number two, they're setting the example of health and happiness for their child, which I think is a more powerful message than even what mm -hmm. they say. So it's two things, but it's not just okay to take care of yourself. It's actually crucial. I mean, on every level, whatever you want to get done in your world, if you want to if you be an activist against the animal industry, you're best served when you're taking care of yourself. I'm sorry, but we'll argue that till the cows come home, no pun intended. I want people to learn how to take care of themselves because they can do whatever they want to do better when they are more powerful and strong in their minds and bodies. And I just make that argument every, just every day. And mm. that's, the, that's the mind first, body second. I don't, and frankly, like if you're not grounded and you're not in a place of relative calm and again, stress management, you, if you're involved in the, I mean, I'll talk about this because it's particular to your podcast, but if you're talking about the animal industry and slaughterhouses, watch how fast that takes you down. Yeah. Watch how fast that destroys you. I've been at VegFest, you know, I was in Florida a few years ago doing a talk and I was just going to the bathroom and I walked by a table where they had a big monitor showing a video of some slaughterhouse thing. And I, I never watched that stuff. I'm already plant-based 18 years. I don't, I'm, I don't want any part of that industry, mm -hmm. but I walked by and just looked over and see this three second scene that literally ruined my day. I mean, I couldn't stop talking. I couldn't stop thinking about it. I still think about it just yeah. now, just now when I told you that story, I had the exact image in my brain. It takes attention and effort to maintain a level of grounding and strength to not let that stuff make you an angry, unhappy person. Cause that's not going to help anything. You've got to be that. If you want, if you have want to make change in the world, you've got to figure out a way to make yourself happy and healthy first. That's how I just believe that. Yeah. I believe that too. I sometimes can't, um, argue it as forcefully and as well as you just did, because I, I when people are feeling extremely uh, outraged and coming from a real, like a, a single moral issue about mm -hmm. it, it is, I mean, I, I, I defer to that. I couldn't possibly argue against their moral outrage. On the other hand, when they, they I find they make themselves ineffective in yes. helping the rest of us That's right. do better, learn better, teach That's better, right. Uh, spend our money better. There's yes. so there's so much control we do have that we when when we're hijacked, I think this way we don't use all we have. Yeah, and we don't influence enough people. I mean, really, it's like one person is is great and they have a passion about this thing, but in theory, they know that they can't do it all themselves. They need to change a horrible industry like what you were talking about. It means lots of people being affected. It means yeah. their friends and family seeing that living this way is a better way to live. If you can't make that sell, if you're walking around angry, I have met vegan. I'll make a joke here, but it's kind of true. I have met vegans where I'm like, man, you're making me not want to be vegan. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because it's like you're you're not you're angry and resentful and and on a just ready to attack every five seconds. That's not mm. you lost your way. In theory, you went into this to eat this way because you thought it was a better way to do things, a better way to live, a better way to be a human being. And I agree with you. But if you don't remind yourself of that, when you get up every morning, you lose because you're not even getting done what you want to get done. And that's the struggle that when we talk about struggle, that's a struggle. How I asked Gene, you know, Gene Bauer is yes. mm -hmm. farm, farm second. Larry. Yeah. Yeah. It, we become friends over the years and I've had him on, I had him on my old show, the approaching the natural show, but I asked him, I said, how do you, that guy's been front lines. You want to talk mm -hmm. about somebody who's, he's been in the slaughterhouses with secret cameras, like in the seventies, like doing the bit, nobody's done it like Gene. 
I said, how do you get up in the morning? Like knowing that pain that you've seen, knowing the stuff you've actually seen. He goes, I have to always remind myself of the positive work we are doing. He has to keep his brain into the work that they are doing and the accomplishments that they've made. If he changes his mindset to think about all the work they haven't gotten done yet and all the pain that still exists, he can't do his job. And we need Gene to be able to do his job. I need Gene to do what he does, which is, have you ever met him? No, no. He's like kind and funny and mellow and he looks you know, healthy and vibrant and he's, he interviews well. I need, I need Gene there. Mm. I need, that's exactly where I need Gene. I need Gene in exactly that place because he translates change better. He was on Tucker Carlson and had a great interview. And even Tucker was like, why don't you, cause he's like, cool. Right. <laughs> <Our argument. laughs> yeah, and that takes energy. You can, that takes focus. Yes. Right. And that's where I need guys like that. I need men and women in that place so that they can make effective change that they want to make. But I think that I agree with them in ethically and I want them, that change to me too. And I got to work on myself in that regard as well. Mm -hmm. Well, you're also protecting yourself from social media because there's a lot of this sort of you're very outspoken as being dis cut the cord I it's on, on I quit social it. media, right? I deleted it. Yeah. 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 I, 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 I still, well, I talked to um, Howard Jacobson about it a little bit the other day and he was like, how do you protect? I go, well, I just block them. They don't seem to bother me as much. I think we all Good. have maybe over time it'll be, um, but there are, but there, so even in the, in the plant-based and in the vegan communities, vegetarian communities, there are, are some, you know, very angry, very, um, I guess I would just say negative, some very negative people. Oh, oh, you have Oh, crazy. Amount. And looking, looking to find out what you're doing wrong. All yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I had a, the one of the funniest stories I ever uh, about this, not funny, but funny. I was speaking in North Carolina and the event put me up with one of the you know event people I was staying at her house. And, and, she, and the night before I arrived, she had gotten into this like massive argument on Facebook, this vitriol, this group versus this all vegan, by the way this group for this group. And that now they're not talking. And, and she was afraid to go to the event the next day because there was so much vitriol, so much mm -hmm. anger. And they were, they were like boycotting her and they were calling her out and she was super stressed about it. And I remember showing up at the event the next day with her, she drove me to the event and she goes, there's, you know, there's some people from the, from the group that was like, that, that are calling me out at the name of that group, vegans for peace. <laughs> I am not, I am not joking. <laughs> vegans for peace. And I was like, there's something very fundamentally wrong with what is happening right now. It's a good reminder for all of us that we, our level of outrage can, we, we need to check ourselves for it all the time. It's very easy to see in someone else, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're expecting perfection and we expect never to make mistakes, but we're not robots. And mm -hmm. if we identify an ethic and identify an effort, then we need to appreciate, really appreciate that and go, they're on their, they're on their track. I'm on my track. I may be doing it better than they are. They may be doing it better than they, than I am in some other ways, but we're all kind of moving the train in the same direction. Let's mm -hmm. all get this done. But man, oh man, I mean, the amount of vitriol and, and that's why I quit social media. And I quit it because frankly, I could have regulated it and said, okay, well, I'm going to do a little bit. But as a practitioner, I was like, what happens if I just quit everything? What's that going to be? You know, just as an experiment. Yeah. And so I went ahead and did that. And then on YouTube, the, the one holdout, because people go, that's social media. It never was for me. But on YouTube, I, I for the last over a year now, I just, when I launch a video, I disable comments. I just, if you notice yeah. my videos, there's no comments, just no comments. Like, the, the, you know, 
like it or I don't mean push the like button, but enjoy the video or don't enjoy the video, watch it and maybe learn something from it. That'd be great. And then go on and live your life. I don't need to hear your comments. Not that I'm against them, but I go, I don't want you to, you know, like, it's great. Just do your thing. And, um, and it's been a very interesting, um, liberating talk about music. Like I quit social media and within a month started writing songs again. I have a whole nother album's worth of material. I haven't written an album's worth of material in 15 years, but I give up that. And it wasn't the time that I was on it. It was a decent amount of time, but not that much. It was the mental real estate taken up by it. You mm-hmm. know, reading comments, knowing about comments, looking at it, so it's like that takes up time in your brain, not physical time in the world, but mental real estate. And people I think aren't fully aware that that's happening. They go, I'm only on for a half hour. Yes. But what other parts of your life are are affected by that and infected by that? And when that went away, it was like, oh, you know, I have physical free time, but also mental openness. Like, what can I, what do I want to do now? It was like, it's great feeling, you know? So I stuck with it. I think it's also the interruption time of it that yes. is, is it takes up. It's not even just a minute interruption here or even just thinking, oh, I wonder if anybody responded or yes, just that's that what I mean. is, is a lot. That's yeah. what I mean. Yeah. There's a great book by Cal Newport. If I ever meet him, I'm going to hug him because uh, I'll ask permission first. But he but he, uh, you know, t- because he saved my second book, but he wrote a book called Deep Work. Yes. And he's you know, and basically he argued that we're a dying that it is a dying talent to be able to stick with something long enough, we are fragmented in our thinking. Now we are blip, 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 but it's not a natural thing. It's changing our, our chemistry, changing our neurology in our brains. It's changing the way that we operate. And it's uh, not a healthy thing. Again, not a natural thing. So to be able to, to me, to set constraints in this way of shutting out social media was a way to liberate me again, talk about mindset. It wasn't a restrictive, like I'm going to restrict. It was like, how can I free myself? Um, to do other things. And I was able to finish. I swear, I don't know if I would have been able to finish my, I was so fragmented when I sat down to read raising a healthy parent to write raising healthy parents. I'd write for about five, seven minutes. And then I just, I'd be on YouTube. I like just magically, or I'd be on a Facebook, just, just I, like, I wouldn't even be conscious turning it on. It was like, the I'd be writing. I'm in a really good place. And then I'd be at Facebook just like that. And I was like, what is happening? And then I saw his TED talk on YouTube one time when I was distracting myself and I went, whoa, and I bought his book and read it while I was supposed to be writing my book, read it. And I got back into my book, shut things off, closed things off, set parameters. And then I was able to get back into the work. But I remember telling my wife at the time, I was like, my brain is not functioning well. I can't focus. Something is not right here. And I was very conscious of that happening. And I think I saved it a little bit, you know, because I got on top of it, but it's happening for a lot of people. Well, especially um, you are younger than I am, but there was a time before all these interruptions, before the hand, you know, the handheld phone that had sure. everything in it. And there was a time when, uh, when I was a young woman or in university, where when you sat down to do your work, you know, there were interruptions, but they were people interruptions, somebody banging on your door or, sure. or something, but you could sit and you, I would see my work. I would start out writing or doing something or processing something. And I didn't know what I was doing, but, but just by show, but being there, That's right. stuff emerges. That's right. And if you are constantly being interrupted, I think nothing can emerge from your brain or from your writing or from your processing. So I think that interruption is just super, super um, toxic for our, for our, for our upper level, our frontal cortex. That's right. Yeah. It's, it's like the, um, you know, it's interruptions are going to happen. Like you said, 
but it's the level and it's the level of distraction available to us. And I, and I, and I think that it is taking us down, you know, it's not making us uh, productive. It's not making us happier for sure to have that level of interruption. Um, I just did a recent video YouTube channel called um, my take on intermittent fasting, because that's all the rage, but it's all food related, which makes sense. That's what intermittent fasting is. I make the argument in the video that you, we should apply that same kind of intermittent fasting to our, what we feed our minds. I call it in the, my first book, Approaching the Natural, I call it mental nutrition, mm -hmm. what we feed our minds, social media, news, books, movies. I'm not saying good or bad. I'm saying that's the stuff we consciously put in our minds, like we consciously put food in our bodies to take a break from that, to not consciously put something in your, in your mind for periods of time. Because that's when the stuff happens. Like you said, like when you can process that information, when you can just sit and you don't have to be writing, but just hanging out. So we, we don't value doing nothing anymore. We don't value sitting. If I have an employee, which I don't, but if I did, I'd be like, sit still for 15 minutes and think that's when the ideas happen, mm. right? You don't have to be active all the time. I mean, look at how active we are all the time and we're not getting anything done. Thinking, that's why in my car, down to the resort for the last year, most times I drive to and from, it's only 15 minutes. I, I have nothing. I don't put, I, for first it was like news and then that was stressing me out. So then it was music and that's fun. Then it was podcast. Now I go, what happens if I just do nothing? And I have a little digital recorder because guess what? Ideas come mm. and, I, and, I, and I can't write them down. It's not safe. And so I turn on my recorder and go podcast idea, boom, video idea. That's when it happens. It's all there just because of quiet. You know, it's such a cool thing. And I would advocate people try it for a minute you know, one minute, just, just, just one minute, nothing. Don't put anything in your head for one minute, a conscious one minute, you know, and see what happens. It's kind of cool. And it becomes very, um, very peaceful. Totally agree. I think that's why people say they have great ideas in the shower because yeah, exactly right. aren't, we're not being bombarded in the shower. That's right. That's yeah. right. Middle of the night, yeah. 3 a.m. I wake up and I'm like, genius. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's, <laughs> Yeah, that's a good idea. And then I forget it nine times out of 10. So I have like my phone next to my bed and I, you know, quickly jot down the thing or I have a piece of paper and I can write it down or whatever, just so I can not forget it by the time I wake up four hours later, you know, whatever. And uh, yeah, so that solitude, that those moments that I talk about in the book, you know, that those moments of, of, it doesn't have to be quiet, like sitting on a mountaintop quiet. It has to be intentional. Uh, well, I, I, I nicked it from a book, a good book called lead yourself first, where he defines solitude as freedom from input from other minds, free mm. of input from other minds. So you can be on a subway with noise around you, but are you free of conscious input from other minds? Are you deciding I'm not having something, I'm not putting something into my head on purpose. And then that's the places that you kind of live in now and then momentarily. And those are the places that make us grounded and help us recover rest and stress. Yeah, I think that's so beautiful. And it's so important. I mean, when we, in, in coaching, we talk about um, noticing that the thoughts in our head are not necessarily true, that we have a yeah. lot, a lot, a lot of thoughts. Oh, yeah. Some of them we might decide are true, but mm -hmm. most of them are just thoughts we've been cycling through and who knows where they came from. And until yes. you take some time to notice that, put them out Definitely. on paper or speak them in front of somebody who's going to challenge you a little bit, you sometimes will just just keep cycling that through yeah, it. And accept them a, as truth. Yeah, exactly. And we have a yeah. lot of people who um, we are the product that they are trying to organize. There are people who are trying to get us to think certain things from a, a certain way because it's good for their business or it's good for their, the, or even coming from a good, uh, good point of view, even just thinking this makes a good citizen or a good community member, a good family sure. member. We sure. repeat things. So, so unless we have that time to like notice these thoughts, we don't, we don't, um, 
we don't get a chance to decide whether we want to keep them. Yeah. What, yeah. What, what are the ones you want to keep? What are the ones you don't? You know, I had a client years ago whose dad called her fat and ugly when she was a kid. And over time, when you hear that enough, whether it's from a parent or from a teacher or from a friend or a so-called friend or whatever, all of a sudden that kind of starts to seep in and the voice in your head sounds like you saying it. It's your yes. voice saying it, right? And all of a sudden, unquestioned, that can become a thing that that is your reality. You would define yourself that way. If somebody asked you, who are you? I'm fat and ugly. And you're not. Mm. And you know you're not. On another level, you know you're not. But if you don't take the time to ask that question, to define who you are, in spite of how that voice might be saying it in your head, but who are you? And nine times out of 10, you know, when I work with people, I ask that question before we get anything done is define your ideal. You did that when you did the online program. The first task is to define your ideal life. That's because we need to define that in spite of the messaging might be, we might be hearing in our lives. We need in our heads, in our voice, it sounds like, but it's not us. And until we ask that question, I don't want anybody to move because you got to know who you are before you make a move toward that person, right? And if you believe you're fat and ugly, the moves you make are going to be very hard to, to undo that unless you start defining, no, I'm actually not. I'm actually this person. And this is the person that's going to start emerging into the world more and more every day. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's also a trick question. It's kind of a hard question for some of us, especially me, the kind of Super person hard. like there's got to be a right answer, right? Yeah, and there's definitely yeah. a wrong answer. <laughs> yeah. So. No, it's super hard. People have stewed. They think it yeah. sounds like an easy exercise. I call it the ideal idea. Um, it's a very hard thing to do. If you're obese and your whole life has been, I'm a binger, I'm a, I have no control, I'm an all in a thing for all these messages, all these ways we, we define ourselves. And you write down your ideal idea. Most people that I've worked with that are you know, let's say highly overweight, they write down, they don't write down, I'm overweight, they write down, I'm at a healthy weight. That means that means that's, to me, that's who they are. I don't, I always say, I don't help people become different people. I help them become themselves, mm -hmm. not my judgment. I don't tell you who you are. I want you to get to a place where you can use my approach or another approach, whatever works for you to answer those questions about really, who are you? Then all of a sudden the I'm fat and ugly starts to you recognize that as not you now. You're like, oh, uh, there that is again. That was, <laughs> and if they really want to go back and find out the origins of that, that's when I say, go see a psychologist because right. I'm not one. But I want you to know who you are ideally and then be able to move by via small steps to get closer to that person day to day. And don't expect perfection perfection, because no, I wouldn't have eaten, overeaten those jelly beans. You know, the ideal me, I lost that battle. But on the balance, I win more than I lose. And, and that's what, the way I want to keep it. And I never stopped trying. Mm -hmm. And who brought those jelly beans into the house? Uh, my wife, okay. her fault. Uh, it was for, it was for, uh, it was for, uh, <laughs> it was for Easter. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and, and so it was like, we had Easter candy, you know, and I, and I just two days ago, I was like, I don't want to eat dessert. You know, I always yeah. ask for help. She asked me for help. She was like, I don't either. And we help each other and like, remember, and, uh, and this, they just came out and we were snacking on it and then it went out of hand. So anyways, but, but again, I sweat it because it's a one most of the time. Remember, Mont, exactly. I don't, I don't, I really don't care. I asked for help. I got it done. I fixed it. No harm done. And I moved on. I'm not stewing about it. If I did that every night, you know, then it becomes a thing. Right. And you ask for help thing. because you value yourself and you, you love yourself and you want yourself to be well, and you love the people around you and you trust them yes. to love you. So it's a nice thing. Some of my clients will also say, I should be able to sit in front of those jelly beans. Yeah. And I go, why, why should you? They're designed to be addictive. Yeah. And if you think that's weak, you've got another thing coming. That's to me, the strong, that's why I talk about, I argue that in the book because strength, I really define strength. Let's, let's talk about what strength is. Asking for help in a world that is crazy and nutty and also awesome in many ways too, but asking for help is a position of strength. I'm sorry, but it is. Mm. Sometimes we need help. We all need help. 
And to somehow perceive that as a weakness is I think very, is very disappointing. It's very, you know, antithetical to living a good life, like self-care is self-care. And that's going to mean taking care of yourself means asking for help sometimes. Right. Yeah, and, and, and you're denying other people in your community and people in your family and your people that you, that you work with the opportunity to, to know you better and to that's right. show you that kind of respect and love. Yes. So yes. it, it's, it's actually disconnecting. I find when you think that you have to be the lone ranger, that's got it all handled at all times. Totally. And I have kids, you know, as a, as a parent, like with the Raising Healthy Parents book, like I love asking my kids for help and they love helping me. Yes. I'll be like, guys, don't let me eat any more of those jelly beans. Because again, I want them to see like it can get done, but not without work. Yeah. You know, it can get done, but not without work. Cause I don't want them to have an expectation. Well, my father never struggled with food. So therefore I shouldn't have to struggle with it. It's like, oh my God, I did a horrible job parenting. If they grew up thinking that there's no battles around food when you have stuff that is literally designed to be addictive. And, you know, I got to, I want them to know the struggles are there and that they can get on top of them and how to do it. Right. Yeah, that's beautiful. I think that's, I think uh, my kids are all grown up. I now have a new, uh, a new grandson who's turning nice. shortly and his, and his mother received his mother and uh, my son-in-law received a copy of your book uh, a little while ago. Uh, the, oh, cool. the, uh, the um, right. raising, raising healthy parents, healthy parents. I'm thinking yeah. happy. Now yeah. they're not going to be happy, but they'll be healthy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there's a lot, you know, but it's yeah. so, but it, it is about taking care of you first it is yes yeah and we do you know again it seems like well as a parent you can't do that no you have to like you, yeah. you and people said to me well how do you why 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 are you writing a parenting book it gives you credit about it i said that's not a parenting book i'm not yeah. telling people how to parent their kids i'm not telling them how exactly. to talk to their kids i'm telling them that however they want to parent they can every parent i think every parent has an idea of how they want to be as a parent i do believe that but if you're super stressed, you can't pull that off. So the book is like, here's some tools and things to think about to get your ducks in a row so that then you can parent however you want to parent. And I'm not going to tell you how to do that. I'm just going to tell you that if you take care of yourself, you'll do it better. That's all. So I hope right. my, my listeners are taking notes and the notes will be in the show notes. There'll be links to it. But Raising Healthy Parents, I totally recommend is a wonderful book. And now Six Truths. Who do you think should read Six Truths, Sid? the new book everybody between 27 and no, i'm just kidding anybody anybody it's it's written to be accessible and fun it's written to be you know i thought well if i'm gonna write a self-help book which essentially it kind of is mm -hmm. um i didn't want it to be I'm, and i'm not knocking any other books i really am not because people it's time and place i've written i've read when i need to books that are super dry but i'm like this is an amazing book because it's you know but for some people who are busy and they they are, you know, maybe going from yo-yo diet to yo-yo diet or, or some quick fix plan looking for something that they're not getting. This mm -hmm. is the book, you know, it's, it's live by these truths and be happy. Don't, and you won't. That's the subtitle. And, and it's how to negotiate a crazy world with a, a little bit of a sense of humor, um, with a little bit of a, of an understanding of what it is to be strong, what it is that your actual goals are to be happy, to, to do the work, to see what you really care about. Um, that gets you maybe less involved in stupid things like office politics that stress you out. Then mm. at the end of the day, you go like, I don't even care about that. Why am I getting, you know, to, to give you tools to do things that um, are outside of work necessary, you know, maybe in small step ways that are making you feel good, creative things, you know, pursuits that give you inspiration and passion and, and, um, and, and going to the tour there. So it's the book for people who are looking for a, a good life and maybe overwhelmed by the prospect. And, and this book is to show that it's doable. Yeah, I think it, I think it's, it works for so many people on so many levels. There's so much you can get out of it. And I could imagine people very 
easily taking one of the truths per week or one yeah. truth per month, maybe yeah. reading it all, but then choosing one to privilege for the month or for the week to kind of uh, really stay, you know, front front of mind with it. Because I think whether 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 the issues that come up in your life are food or whether they're you know, relationships or career, I think that it's applicable to so many things that people are trying to do, but might find themselves a little bit stuck. Yeah. So six truths. Cool. There's, it somehow sounds like it, it, it does it resemble the, the title of anything from philosophy. I'm just wondering if it, it had some kind of secondary rev resonance. For it, you. it doesn't. It was, I, I've got to be honest, the first title was four truths. Oh. And then I, and then as I was looking at it, I was like, oh, wait, no, I want to do this one. Oh, no, wait, I want to do this one. And then I was like, no, 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 no. Yeah. So, so then I was like, no, it's it six truths. And then I, of course I Googled it to see if anybody else had titled it. And there's like one other book that's like six truths of motherhood. So I was like, okay, I think I'm okay. Like, there's not that many, there's not that many, but yeah, no, it was random. It wasn't based on anything. It was just six truths that, that it was six main topics I wanted to cover. And I did. Well, that's wonderful. I'm really excited that, that you were able to come on and chat about your book. I wanted to oh ask gosh. one more thing about coffee. Where are you on your coffee journey these days, Sid? What are you roasting? What are you drinking? What are you? Yeah, I bought I bought an AeroPress years ago because I was speaking a lot and traveling around and I hotel coffee is the bane of my existence. So I thought I'd get an AeroPress. Now I use it every day. I get up every morning, make my wife a cup and make myself a cup. And um so that's what I'm making. I am, I'm for your listeners. I've been roasting my own beans for 20 years. So it changes because check out, I've been working with the same company. I'm not connected to them financially, but they're called the coffee project. I just love them. There was like this indie company out of Glendale, California. And I just email them and I go, Hey, what's good? Like, you know, whatever I check on their site and I buy 10 pounds of green beans that show up and I roast and it's the easiest darn thing in the world. And I absolutely love it. So right now I'm doing Costa Rican and I'm roasting it on the dark side, not super dark, but not medium for sure. So it's on the darker side and it's like paradise. It's, it's, it, I'm such a coffee spoiled brat about it. Like I don't want to waste a cup of coffee unless it's really good. Um, and so that's what I'm doing. So which truth is that under the idea of treating yourself very, very well in your certain, uh, I think it would be the truth one, living the example of drinking really good coffee. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Sid, thank you so, so much for being on. Being oh my God. Interviewee. I'm, so I'm excited. That sounds so good. I'm so happy. You're so sweet. And you've, you have been such a huge support. Uh, I love, over the years love, love your work. And you're awesome. And it's just been so good to trade emails with you over the years. And when you launched a show, I was like super cool. And then to have me on is even better. So thank you so much. for. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan. And uh, so now I'm glad that my listeners know about you if they didn't, because I've mentioned you before. So at least, at least four more people know about you. Good. Good. Okay. Great. <laughs> thank great. you, Sid. Thanks a lot. All right. Thank you. So listeners, what did you think? For some of you, it might've been your first introduction to Sid Garza-Hillman. Sid is really a wealth of information. He's been doing this a long time. He has worked with such a variety of people. And what did you think about his knowledge about how we should be breathing you know, functional breathing is something I only learned about because I listened to Sid's podcast. Um, I hope you enjoyed him. I hope you are interested in learning more about his books, especially this new one, Six Truths. I um, have a couple of copies that I am allowed to give away. So if you're interested in getting a free copy of Sid's new book, Six Truths, review and make a little note in the review. You'd like to be entered into the uh, raffle to win six 
truths. Put it in there. I want to win six truths. And give us a five-star rating, and we will give away a couple copies. If you are not in North America, I will uh, offer you either the audio version or a ebook version, Kindle or whatever ebook version you want of six truths. And uh, we were we are so excited to have finally done an interview. My editor Charlie Charlie Weinshank is going to be busy trying to make me sound less confused and stuttery, but I'm really excited that we were able to get this out to you, uh, the Veg Your Best listeners today. Thank you so much, and hopefully there'll be some more interesting interviews in the weeks ahead. Stay tuned. Veg Your Best podcast production, music, and editing by Charlie Weinshank. Thanks, Charlie. Before you go, it would mean so much to me and the Veg Your Best team if you would hit subscribe, leave us a five-star review, or share with someone you think might be interested. Something about algorithms, it helps bump us up a little in the rankings, and that's the best way to help others find the podcast and for us to find our audience. So, until next week, make it easy and veg your best.